Well, every so often as I'm sitting down to get started on the next Sunday's sermon, I get the sense that I should maybe be speaking on something else. Sometimes it's something stirring in my heart that I just can't ignore. Sometimes it's something happening in the world or the church that I just can't ignore. But always I'm hoping it has something to do with the prompting of the Spirit. Now, as I said, that happens pretty rarely because we very thoughtfully and prayerfully and intentionally lay out our teaching journey for the year and plan our each teaching series on Sunday. And we've had a great time with our neighboring series, and I look forward to finish, finishing up strong next Sunday. But something happened to me a week or so ago that caught me by surprise, and I just haven't been able to shake it. And as I've turned it over in my mind and thought and prayers, it occurred to me that it might be something I need to process out loud with all of you. As I mentioned last Sunday, we married off our youngest son, Daniel, a couple of weeks ago, our fourth and last child. And a couple days before the ceremony, a friend on staff, a fellow father, stuck his head in my office and, and said, so are you feeling sad, you and Karen, that this is your last child getting married? And I thought for a minute, I said, no, not really. I said, we've had a great time raising them. They've all married wonderful people. We're managing to stay close to each other, even, we're far, even though we're far away. I mean, what could a couple of, more could a couple of parents ask for? No, I said, we feel really good about it. And we did. And we had a great, beautiful, meaningful ceremony and a great party afterwards. And the bride's family paid for the whole thing, so what's not to like about that, right? <laughs> so as Karen and I made our way home the day after, we were just filled with nothing but pride and gratitude and wonder and joy and happiness. The next morning... As I was going through my stuff, getting organized for the week to come, I came across the folder with all the notes from the wedding and the preparations, and I crumpled them up in a ball and just tossed them to the floor to throw away later, and all of a sudden, I started crying. Not just crying, bawling like a baby. <laughs> Daniel, my Daniel! <laughs> It just hit me all of a sudden that our youngest child, the one we'd had to ourselves for several years after the other had left home, the so-called baby of the family, was now married. He was halfway across the world on his honeymoon with his wife. How did this happen? <laughs> Suddenly, there was another most important person in his life, and it wasn't us. There was another person he would be looking to as, as his primary source of wisdom and encouragement and love. And that's the way it should be. But it's not the way it had been for so many, many years. And it suddenly felt like the end of an era for us, an era that began some 35 years ago when we discovered we were expecting our first child. And suddenly it was over. I mean, we're still parents, to be sure, and we always will be, but not quite in the same way. That chapter of life called child-rearing was over. And as I processed that in the days that followed, turning these thoughts over, it brought a flood of memories and moments to my mind. It prompted me to think about this thing called fatherhood. 
What had I learned along the way? How had fatherhood shaped my faith and my character? What might I have done differently or better along the way? What might I say to those who are fathers or contemplating fatherhood today? As I tried to make sense of those thoughts, to put them into words, it occurred to me that maybe that was worth doing out loud with all of you. Because the truth is, there's not a person listening here today who has not been impacted by this thing called fatherhood for good or for ill, probably a little bit of both. For one thing, every one of us has or had a father in our lives, some man who helped to bring us into the world. That man may have been very present to us or absent from us. That man may still be alive today or may have passed on. That man you call father may have come into your life later in life through some choice or circumstance. But when we hear the word father, someone comes to mind and some feelings rise in our chest. Maybe good feelings, maybe some not so good feelings. So we all have had or have a father. And secondly, many in this room are fathers or will be fathers someday. And if you are or if you become one, you will discover that fatherhood is one of the defining experiences of your life. It's experience that's weighted with both wonder and challenge. So on this Father's Day, let's turn our thoughts and minds, our hearts and spirits toward this thing called fatherhood for just a few minutes as this father reflects on three and a half decades of that experience. And let's invite the Lord to speak to each of us, whoever we are, wherever stage of life we're in, however we may be feeling about this thing called Father's Day. Let's invite him to speak into our lives in these next few moments. I'm gonna offer four observations and I'm gonna ground each of them in some passages of scripture. And the first observation is that fatherhood can shape or break your heart, and will probably do both. Fatherhood can shape or break your heart. Fatherhood is a mixed bag. It can be wonderful, and it can be awful. It can be awesome, and it can be exhausting. There are victories and joys. There are failures and regrets. Lots of laughter and plenty of tears. The book of the Bible that we call Proverbs has a lot to say about fatherhood. It was written and inspired by a man named Solomon who had plenty of experience as a father. And at one point, reflecting on that experience, he writes, a wise son brings joy to his father. And every father at one or many points will have experienced that joy. You can have had a horrible, horrible day at work, but when you walk in the door and some toddler says, Daddy, and throws himself or herself in your arms, it makes a lot of that pain go away. And when later in life your teenage child or a young adult child calls you and asks for your advice about something, it can do something for you like nothing else. There are many joys with fatherhood. But just a few verses later, that same father, Solomon, writes these words. A foolish son brings grief to his father. And every father, I'm sure, would agree there's plenty of that as well. Because every child is neither always wise or always foolish. 
like, like every parent, children sometimes get it right and sometimes get it wrong. And so fatherhood, like motherhood, is a mixed bag. And I think most parents would agree that some of their best moments and some of their worst moments have come as parents. But let's begin with the positive. Fatherhood can shape your heart. Fatherhood will change you and has the potential to shape you in some really wonderful ways. The first thing fatherhood teaches you is humility because it reveals your fears and your weaknesses, inadequacies. The first time they put that little bundle of life in your arms and you realize you are now responsible for this life, it is an overwhelming thing. Like most first fathers, I, I could ne never remember holding a baby and suddenly they put one in my arms and she was my responsibility and it was terrifying. I was never so glad to see my mother-in-law the day she showed up to help <laughs> that first day and never so sorry to see her go, please stay longer, because <laughs> we were on our own. But for me, the most humbling aspect of fatherhood, personally, was having to face and deal with my anger, my anger. I'd never really had to deal much with anger. It's just kind of not the way I'm wired as a person. But it's amazing and frightening how quickly you can get to anger with a child who just won't go to sleep <laughs> or who deliberately disobeys you or who ruins another peaceful evening with an argument about a homework or curfew or why they can't see Chainsaw Massacre 2 with their friends. <laughs> Lots of ruined evenings. I've never ever felt as angry as I have at moments as a parent and it scared me. And, and it sometimes prompted me to say or do or respond in ways that I wish I had not, ways I had to apologize for afterwards and confess to God. So fatherhood shapes your heart by teaching you humility. It also teaches you selflessness. I think it's safe to say there's not a more self-absorbed creature on this earth than a young single man. I mean, there's the only person you have to worry about in your life is you. You do what you want, where you want, when you want, with who you want for as long as you want, and that's all there is to it. Now, marriage will temper some of that self-centeredness, but nothing beats it out of you like fatherhood. <laughs> Every father comes to understand and embrace sacrifice. Whether it's giving up sleep, or hobbies, or friendships, or career opportunities, a lot of those things go by the wayside. One of the things I have always enjoyed in life is the outdoors, skiing and climbing in particular. But there was a long stretch of years in there when there just was not time or money or energy to pursue any of those things. Life was all about Karen and the kids and work, and that was pretty much it. And I know there are some fathers here today who are in that particular season of life where there's just no room for a whole lot of other things. And it's hard. 
and it can be lonely and it can feel tedious. And you can begin to wonder what happened to that fun, adventurous person you once were. Will you ever again have the opportunity to do some of those things you enjoy or to pursue things that are on your heart to do? I can tell you two things, at least from my experience. The first is that those sacrifices are worth it. When years later you see your children becoming happy, healthy, productive, Christ-following people, every sacrifice you made was worth it. And the second thing I can tell you from my experience is that you probably will get to do some of those things again someday. One of the big surprises for me is that there is life after kids. <laughs> There's a lot of life, actually. And you do get to ski again. And best of both worlds, you get not only to ski, you get to ski with your kids. And sometimes they even pay for their own lift ticket. <laughs> so you, you get to enjoy both those things and it's wonderful until they start beating you down the mountain and then it doesn't feel so good. So fatherhood shapes your heart, teaches you humility and selflessness. And thirdly, it increases your dependence on God. So much of life is out of our control as parents. Parents and fathers in particular, I suppose, like to be in charge. We want to be able to fix things. We want to know what to do in every and every circumstance, but we just can't. We don't. Life and parenthood is way too complicated for that. So fatherhood will bring you to your knees in thanksgiving, in repentance, and in intercession for these children that you love and care for so deeply. Fatherhood will, will drive you to the scriptures, searching for wisdom and perspective and strength for the task ahead. Fatherhood will motivate you to live a life of faith and integrity because you know your children are watching you and they will follow in your footsteps. Fatherhood has made me a more faithful and committed Christ follower. And it can do the same for you whatever stage of life you're in. Now notice I said fatherhood can shape your heart because it's not automatic. Fathers can resist humility and selflessness and faithfulness. Fathers can try to do it in their own strength, on their own terms, in their own way. But if you are willing, fatherhood can shape your life with humility and sacrifice and faithfulness. So fatherhood can shape your heart in some wonderful ways, but fatherhood can also break your heart. There will be times when you will be deeply disappointed with yourself with your kids, sometimes with the world around you. There will be trips to the emergency room and the police station and the principal's office and the youth pastor's office. We made many of those trips with every one of our kids. And as you get old, as they get older, kids make their own decisions and you don't always agree with them and they're not always wise decisions, but sometimes there's nothing you can do but pray and wait and come alongside as you're able. Some of your hearts are aching now for kids who are in trouble, 
or in pain or far from God or far from you. And nothing aches like that. And then, of course, there are those whose fathers were not there for them, whose fathers were absent physically or emotionally, fathers who were worse than absent, perhaps. When I shared with the staff that I would be speaking on fatherhood this week, uh, one of our staff members uh, sent an email. I'll read just a few lines. As you prepare... Please remember those in the congregation who have had rocky relationships with their parents and or their dad in particular. For years, the churches I, would, I was in would inevitably choose the hymn, This Is My Father's World, to sing on Father's Day. This was hard for me to sing and understand because my earthly father was not like my heavenly father. For years, this was a big disconnect. And it took years of healing and therapy to change my perspective on both my earthly and heavenly father. So fatherhood can break your heart in all kinds of ways, but it can also drive you to your knees in prayer and humility and to the scriptures and independence upon your heavenly father. So fatherhood can shape or break your heart. My second observation, and these next will go a little more quickly. The second observation is that fatherhood is all about encouragement. I struggled to come up with one word that would get to the essence of fatherhood. When we think about motherhood, I think the word that comes to mind so quickly is nurture. Motherhood is all about care and feeding and growth and development, and rightfully so. But what's fatherhood all about? Well, the first word that came to mind was provision. Fathers want to provide for their children food and shelter and health care and education. Second word that came to mind was protection. Fathers want to be strong. They want to keep their children from evil and from harm. But in the end, the word I landed on was encouragement. Encouragement. Because in addition to providing and protecting, fathers have a unique, I believe, opportunity and responsibility to encourage children, young people, to empower them, to send them out into the world with confidence and skills and resources. And it was really scripture that pointed me toward that word, In his letter to the Thessalonian church, Paul writes, For you know that we dealt with each of you as a father deals with his own children, encouraging, comforting, and urging you to live lives worthy of God who calls you into his kingdom and glory. So Paul thinks of himself as a father to those believers in Thessalonica. And so like a father, he encourages them. He urges them to live better lives to fulfill their God-given potential by living to the glory of God. The dictionary defines encouragement as the act of giving someone support and confidence and hope. And fathers can do that. Years ago, as a younger father, I came across a piece of writing by a journalist I like, Lance Morrow, who used to write for Time magazine. He wrote these words. From time to time... I have felt for my father a longing that was almost physical, something passionate and profound. It has bewildered me and even thrown me into depression. It is mysterious to me exactly what I wanted from my father, but I have seen this same longing in other men. 
One seeks a father's sponsorship in the world. A boy wants the aura and armament of his father. A therapist call it a father hunger. This deep down longing for someone strong who believes in us, who will be there for us. And I would suggest it's obviously not just boys who long for that, but girls as well. And I'm intrigued by that word sponsor. A sponsor is someone who, who invests in you. A sponsor is someone who, who makes connections for you. A sponsor is someone who speaks up and opens doors. A sponsor also, by the way, is someone who pays the bills, which fathers are very familiar with as well. Now, mothers certainly encourage their children also, just as fathers certainly nurture their children. But again, there seems to be something unique about the opportunity fathers have to encourage their children. That's why we go to our kids' games, standing in the rain for hours on the sidelines or shivering in a hockey arena somewhere. It's why we go to dance recitals and school plays and awards ceremonies. It's why we sit down and help our kids with their homework. It's why we help them choose a college and discuss career options with them. We're, we're sponsoring them as they head out into the world. It's why we teach our kids life skills, how to throw a ball, how to mow a lawn, how to change the oil on your car, how to dress for an interview. One of the things I regret as I look back on the whole thing is that I didn't take advantage of more opportunities to ask my kids to help me with some project, typically around the house. Now, certainly, we did the things that fathers and kids do together. We mowed the lawn and shoveled the driveway and raked the leaves and all those kinds of things. But too often, when there was a, a bigger job or a tougher job to do, I, I let them off the hook too easily. Sometimes I was just being a softy and figured I'd let them sleep or go off and play. But sometimes it was because I was a little bit insecure about having them watch me as I work, having them discover how little I actually knew about fixing a car <laughs> or how to install a new sink or rewire a lamp. Very scary. But those were missed opportunities, I think. Because one of the ways kids gain confidence is by actually learning how to do something. The, the modern self-esteem movement has not always done a service to our children. Kids don't gain confidence and competence by being told they're great. They gain confidence and competence by actually doing something, by gaining a skill, by finishing something that they started. So fathers, don't be afraid to ask your kids to do a job with you even if it's a hard job, even if it's a job you're not sure how to do yourself. Figure it out together. You'll both gain a skill and you will grow closer to each other along the way. So fatherhood is about encouragement. A third observation is that fatherhood is a team sport. As I look back, I am so grateful for the people God brought into my life to come alongside me in this journey of fatherhood. And the first person, of course, who comes to mind is their mother and my wife, Karen. Proverbs 31 is a passage we usually look at on Mother's Day, but there's an interesting line towards the end of the poem. The poet says, her children arise and call her blessed, her husband also, and he praises her. 
I have nothing but praise and thanks and wonder for the partner God gave me in raising up our children. Karen's instincts and her devotion and her service and her faithfulness were such a blessing to me and to our children. Now, we didn't always agree. And parenthood can put great stress and strain on a marriage. But we leaned on each other and learned from each other as we made our way through it. And our kids are better off for it. God designed fathers and mothers to work together in raising up children. Now we all know that in a fallen world, circumstances sometimes get in the way of that. But as much as possible, children need both a mothering and a fathering presence in their lives. So husbands and wives, I encourage you, do whatever it takes to make your marriage strong and lasting. It is one of the best gifts you can give to your children. If that should turn out not to be possible for whatever reason, find a way to graciously partner in the raising and nurturing and encouraging of your children. Find a way to have an active presence in their lives. And if you should find yourself as a single mom or a single dad, intentionally look for other men who can come alongside and partner with you. Which leads me to my next point, because when I say that fatherhood is a team sport, I'm not just talking about the other parent. I'm talking about grandparents and aunts and uncles and cousins and second cousins twice removed. I'm talking about the extended family so powerful in the lives of children. I'm so grateful that we made it a priority to stay close to both of our extended families, even though it meant 16-hour road trips once or twice a year, fighting holiday traffic up and down the eastern seaboard. It was worth it because our children have a network of men and women all over the country who love them and like them and will be there for them no matter what. Extended family gives children a sense of identity and groundedness and belonging in the world. I, I mentioned my, my love for skiing. It wasn't my father who taught me skiing. He grew up in the South in the, in the Depression and skiing just wasn't on the radar screen of his life. And, like many men of his generation, he was what we might call recreationally challenged. <laughs> Mostly work and not a lot of play. It was my younger uncle who introduced me to skiing. When I was a young teenager, he would drive down from Connecticut to New York and pick me up in his 1964 four-on-the-floor mag-wheel Mustang. <laughs> And he would drive me to Killington, Vermont to ski with him for a couple of days. He made me feel like the coolest kid on the planet and introduced me to a skill and experience that would give me joy and confidence for years to come. Men, don't underestimate your ability to influence the lives of children, even if you're not a dad. And when I say team sport, I'm also talking about the faith family, about the church family, about Christian friends who play a part in your life and your kids' lives. In the final chapter of his letter to the church in Rome, Paul sends greetings to the people he knows in that city, that church. And at one point he writes, greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord, and his mother, who has been a mother to me too. 
Greet Asyncritus, Phlegon, Hermes, Petrobus, Hermas, and the other brothers and sisters with them. If there were people in that church that Paul thought of as a spiritual mother or brother or sister, surely there were some who were like spiritual fathers to him as well. I am so grateful for two wonderful church families who loved our children, accepted them as they were, serve them in all kinds of ways and pray for them still. I'm so grateful that we made church involvement a number one priority of our kids' lives, more important than sports, more important than than music lessons, more important than scouts, more important than jobs, and yes, sometimes more important than school. At each of our kids' weddings, most of the people who stood with them at those up in front of the altar were friends from church, from youth group, or from the colleges, college fellowships that they were a part of. So all this to say, fathers, you cannot do this alone. You need to be actively involved in a church family. You need to be part of a life community. You need to have a circle of Christian friends. You need to have Christian families that you vacation with or that you go to camp with so that there are other adults who can speak into your children's lives in ways that you cannot. Fathers, men, you need to be serving children in your church. Not just your own children, but other children who need a godly masculine presence in their lives. And yes, this is an unabashed plug for men to sign up for a summer Sunday or two in kids' town to serve our children downstairs. This is an unabashed plug to young single men to invest in the lives of student ministry and be a part of nurturing teenagers. This is an unabashed plug to older, mature men to be mentors of those who are coming behind. Fatherhood is a team sport. And then finally, fatherhood begins and ends with God. As I traced this theme of fatherhood through the scriptures, I found my way to a passage that suddenly kind of jumped off the page at me. Again, it's from one of Paul's letters, this time to the church in Ephesus, and he writes, for this reason, I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being. And I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have power together with all God's people to know how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ that you may be filled to all the measure of the fullness of God. The Father from whom every family on earth derives its name. Fatherhood begins with God, the one who brought each of us into this world intentionally, lovingly, gave us the gift of life. That doesn't mean that God is male. God is both male and female, which is why we need both men and women to reflect his image, which is why men and women need to be in vibrant, equal relationships with each other so that together we can experience the presence and manifest the presence of God in the world. But God is like a father to us. It was one of Jesus' favorite ways of talking about God. And notice here what our Heavenly Father does for us, the very things we've been talking about for these few minutes. He empowers us 
that he may strengthen you with power. He loves us with an all-encompassing love, how wide and long and high and deep. And he provides for us, filling us up to all the measure of the fullness of God. That father hunger that therapists talk about, that universal longing for someone who believes in us and will be there for us, that's a hunger for God himself, our heavenly father. That's why fathers play such an important role in the lives of children because we, by our demeanor and behavior, are shaping their view of what God is like. We heard in that early, earlier email how many people struggle with, with trusting God, with feeling close to God because their earthly fathers were distant or, or harsh or unreliable. We have a chance to show them otherwise. And you know, it occurred to me, as I thought about the brokenness of our society and our world today, as I thought about the violence and the loneliness and the anger and the social dysfunction and the sexual promiscuity and drug and alcohol dependence and suicide, these are things that psychologists associate with fatherlessness. And it could it be that our societies drift from God, that our lack of awareness and attentiveness to the fact that there is a God who loves us leaves us in this floundering, awful state in which we find ourselves today. Fatherhood begins with God, which means the best way for you to become a better father is to have a better relationship with your heavenly Father. Let him fill your life with power and love and grace so that you can share it with the children in your life. Fatherhood begins with God and it ends with God. That hymn we mentioned earlier, This Is My Father's World, happens to be one of my favorites. Now, ironically, it was my mother who actually taught me that hymn, but that's a sermon for another Sunday, so... And I understand how that hymn can stir up feelings of disappointment or confusion in the hearts of those who have struggled with their earthly fathers. But it's also a hymn that points us to a father who is good, who shines in all that's fair. It points us to a father who is powerful, rocks and trees and skies and seas, his hand these wonders wrought. A father who is present in the rustling grass, I hear him pass. He speaks to me everywhere. And it speaks to us of a father who one day will put right all that is wrong with this world. Jesus who died will be satisfied and earth and heaven be one. So however you may be feeling on this Father's Day, and whatever your earthly father may have been like, know that you have a father in heaven who loves you unconditionally, irresistibly, unrelentlessly, and in an all-encompassing way. Fatherhood begins and ends with God. So if, if you had a good father, then thank God for him today. And thank your father as well. If your father failed you, 
God can help you forgive him and perhaps provide a path to restoration. If you have failed as a father, God can forgive you and even redeem those failures. And if you need help as a father, turn to the one from whom every family in heaven on earth derives its name, our Father who art in heaven. Let's pray. We thank you, Lord, for an opportunity today to set our minds and hearts towards a subject that is very deep, deep within us, that is a source of such great joy and wonder and also hurt and disappointment. We are grateful for those who have been fathers to us. Many of us give thanks for them today. We pray for those who are fathers in these challenging times that you might give them grace and wisdom and strength and humility and selflessness and above all a dependence upon you. We pray for each of us and for our world that we might turn our hearts and minds towards you, our heavenly Father, and find in you all that we need. In Jesus' name. Amen.